This is the Civilized Barking Podcast with Zach Jackson. Hey everybody, it's the Civilized Barking Podcast by week edition. We're about three days removed from the Browns' big win uh, over Cincinnati. Three and five at the bye, nearly the halfway point. Uh, they play 17 now. Get that off my lawn. But anyway... Um, Good vibes after an awful October. We heard from Andrew Barry on Wednesday, and he said, look, we had a rough October. Um, that's rather obvious, but that guy sometimes won't tell you the truth about what day it is. So we'll see. Um, not dead yet. A lot to get to. Um, Jason, good morning. Good morning, Zachary. Lovely um, to talk to you. Unfortunately, yeah, so- I could not make it to Andrew, Andrew yesterday. I was covering the Boston Celtics tire fire. So... <laughs> Yeah, um, let's take a minute and talk about that because we can. Um, Donovan Mitchell is really special, like better than advertised and better than people thought. And it's going to be a fun winner around here. He's pretty good at the basketball game. Uh, yeah, he's watching them. You know, I wrote the other day that just the way that he, his all-around game is better than I thought. Like we knew he could score and I knew he could like facilitate and, and see the floor and everything. He's so much better than I realized. And watching him and Darius together last night, that's what I wrote for today, is like, they're going to drive this thing. Like, this is Kyrie and LeBron all over again. Not to that, I, I mean, I'm not calling them the greatest of all time, you know, but just in that vein of how they were built last time, watching those two ball handlers drive this team, and Kevin had to, like, sort of feed off of them. That's how this is going to go. It's going to be Darius and Donovan with the ball in their hands, driving this engine and facilitating for Evan and Jarrett. Like the offense is going to run through Darius and Donovan. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Uh, They're going to have to figure out how to play together. Wrote about that. You can't do the my turn, your turn thing. Um, Donovan thought they fell into that trap a little bit in the second quarter, but they'll, I think that they'll figure it out. They're both so natural with the ball in their hands and they're both pretty good without the ball. So uh, I think it'll I think it'll be a good pairing, and this is going to be a really, really fun team to watch all year long. So I got an observation, and if the Browns don't play better in November, then Donovan Mitchell fever will hit in the city a, a new level early. But yes, um, you mentioned LeBron. He's going to get insanely jealous of how this is going to go with Donovan Mitchell, isn't he? Oh, one billion percent. <laughs> yes, yes. But I mean, he they had the space for him. Like that's what people didn't really like. They they could have made it work this summer if he really wanted to come back. Right. And I I think they would have been grudgingly about it. Like you know, there's a lot that comes with that. But if he wanted to come back, they could have made it work. And when he resigned with the Lakers, they pivoted to Donovan. And I would imagine that quite a few Cavs fans in town are are thrilled with how that went. Um, but yeah, I mean, LeBron is going to be watching. LeBron's a, a hoops junkie anyway. Right. But he's going to be watching every one of these games that they're not playing, that the Lakers are not playing. He will be watching the Cavs. I absolutely believe that. So one one more thing since we're already five minutes down this road. I was supposed to go last night. Uh, ended up calling a last-minute audible just because um, – Well, you and Marissa up. were the only ones in Cleveland yes. that weren't there. Apparently. Yes. So I, I have not seen every game. Um, I've seen most of the last two. It is the energy – in there, what it feels like as it jumps through my TV. 
Yeah, yeah. I hate calling October, November games playoff type atmospheres, but when Donovan said that after the game, I thought, okay, well then I guess I can say too because it absolutely had that feel. Like it's, it's the energy is back. In the, I was going to call it the Q. I still call it the Q. In Rocket, in the RMFH, the the, the energy yeah. is back in the RMFH this year. You know, I I said before that I I think the the best energy I felt. I absolutely believe this to be true. There's nothing better than the sold-out progressive field for October baseball. I mean, that place is absolutely electric and rocking, uh, but only in October. And and the, the good thing about Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse is I think they're going to have really good crowds all, all season long. The energy is going to be in the building all year long. That's one thing. The Cavs do a really nice job with the in-arena uh, excitement, energy, getting the crowd whipped into a lather. They're really good at that. And I don't think the se- the whole season is going to be a sellout. I was talking to someone about that uh, a few days ago in the organization. I don't think they're going to get 19,000 every night, but um, it's going to be pretty full most nights. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty fun environment right now. And people are really, you know, I mean, you know, this Zach as well as I do, I wholeheartedly believe LeBron created a generation of basketball fans here that may not have otherwise existed. Uh, you know, the Cavs in the mid nineties were, buried i mean nobody nobody cared about that team mm-hmm. and even when the browns were gone nobody cared about the team the indians had the entire run of the entire town and lebron's arrival even in the lean years when they were really bad when he left the first time they still drew really good crowds some of that was because of the way that they structured their season ticket packages after he left you had to commit before he you know before he had made his decision. right oh i had a couple but, of friends get burned on that yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but 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 i mean even those four years he was gone there was a lot of nights where the place was packed and i just think that there's a generation of basketball fans that were created here that really that's what leaped the Cavs over the indians now guardians in the pecking order in town i mean browns are always number one they're always going to be number one but i think Le- lebron's presence and his impact in this region is really what jumped the Cavs over baseball here. So you mentioned Marissa. Marissa, I have a question for you. Tell me if I'm right or wrong. Um, back when Michael Dunn was just a backup center, you guys could probably go to the Cavs games and get and not get noticed. But now that he's the number one tight end on a team making the playoff push, you guys probably can't even go to the grocery store without getting mopped, right? Oh, well, I don't know. James Hudson might have something to say about that. <laughs> You know, good for James Hudson. The guy never says anything, and and nobody knows. You know, he's he's as anonymous as can be, and nobody knows if he'll be good or not. They took him on as a long term prospect. He's a super nice kid. I've talked to him a couple of times, and like that block was phenomenal, and the celebration afterwards was phenomenal. Even um, better, the celebration was even yes. better than the block. Yes. So I went up to Drew Forbes, who, you know, he's been here like nine years and I've never talked to him. And I was like, what do you think about James Hudson's block? And he goes, he murdered a man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, it's a good night, right? When like all the backup offensive linemen are are getting into it. And I I think, you know, time will tell, right? If if the Browns are just a really bad matchup for the Bengals or this was a turning point, I think you could make the case for both. and, And both can be true. Right. But like, that's the thing. It wasn't just a win. It wasn't just miles being miles. It was lots of people getting involved. You see that goal line package we're referencing, like there's hope for more to come from that. Right. Like you see NFL linebackers playing like NFL linebackers. You see guys like Isaiah Thomas and Taven Bryan who haven't made many plays 
like flying all over the field. I, I mean, I thought the most telling quote, and you never know what Miles is going to say after the game, right? He didn't want AJ Green to get his credit. He wanted Miles to get his credit. <laughs> um, he was like, yeah, there's about three more times I thought I had a play and my teammate beat me to it. And that's what team defense is supposed to look like. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I want to circle back to Hudson just for a moment. You know, the last time anyone mentioned James Hudson's name coming into this year was just the miserable night that he had last year in Pittsburgh where he was really singled out as just getting his ass beat by T.J. Watt for, I mean, that's the only way to say it. And um, for to see the leaps that he's made this year, I, he's a starting tackle on this team next year. And good on him, man. Good on him for the development, for the, sticking with it, for not letting one night, the last night, uh, that well, I don't know if he played against the Bengals or not. Maybe he did play against Cincinnati. I don't. Remember. I don't. That game flushed from my memory. But that was the last impression anyone had in town of James Hudson was that Steelers game, and the way that he's come back and and the improvement that he showed. I absolutely believe he's probably the starting right tackle on this team. I flippantly mentioned you in, in the press box walking out after the game the other night. Is Hudson the left tackle next year and Will's the right tackle? That was probably a silly thing to say. Uh, I think Will's probably still the left tackle next year. He's had his issues this year. But I wholeheartedly believe James Hudson's the right tackle on this team starting next season. And just, I mean, kudos to him and, and well done for him for, for flourishing the way that he has this year. So this is kind of the midseason report. You know, this is the bye week. Soak it all in. Uh, we hope you guys will listen at some point and we'll come back late next week, getting back into the regular um, podcast mode. So, you know, we could run down. I, I mean, Jason, I think, and I think the way that most of October went is a part of this. Like we've, we've run down the flaws and what's gone wrong. Um, we, you know, we, we've, we've dived in several things. I, I want to do it a little different. I want to take a, a step back to, to the beginning of the season and then the big picture, because there was always going to be two parts to this season before Deshaun and after. Right. Um, and, and so that means even if the Browns are going to be a six win team or a 10 win team, you know, there's, there's still much to come and there, and there's with the Browns, there's always layers and there's always drama, but I want to go back. Um, I want, and I mentioned this to you off the air, so we're not totally surprised. I want to know something you were right about. And I want to know something you were wrong about. And I feel like this will be a much more interesting format rather than us regurgitate the same same things that we saw. So um, go back to August or even September or hell, you know, maybe May or June. Um, eight games in, what is something you were right about with this team? Well, if you want to know what I'm wrong about, I can bring my wife in here and we can talk for the next three and a half hours. And I'm sure she has a list both alphabetically and chronologically of all the things I've been wrong about since August. Uh, but in terms of the Browns, you know, when you when you said that this morning, the first thing I thought of was Jacoby Brissett. I think I was right and wrong about Brissett. And he listen, Jacoby has far exceeded my expectations for him. You're looking at the macro view, the thirty thousand foot view, he has played far far better than I ever expected he would. However, the one thing that we were told that his career showed that he doesn't do is turn the ball over. And that's exactly what cost them a number of games was one catastrophic mistake at the end of games. And, you know, the Jets game, you don't really, you can't, it's not fair to put that on him because they never should have been in that position. Just fall on the onside kick. And, and I, and I mentioned it to you the other day, I think on this podcast, I absolutely think in December and January, we're going to be looking back at that Jets game and going, that's the one If they missed the playoffs. That's the one. Um, but we're a long ways from that, obviously, but, but even, you know, the Atlanta game, the Chargers game, 
Um, there's, I'm drawing a blank, but there was other games where the end of game situation, you need your quarterback to go make a play and he throws just an absolutely bone crushing pick. So I think I was right and wrong about Jacoby because in the, in the macro, he's played significantly better than I thought he would. But when you got to have him, when you really need him, he's kind of showed why he's a backup quarterback. Um, and, you know, I think, I think we were right. I think everybody was right. At the preseason, we circled defensive tackle and said, this is going to be a problem. And it has been a problem. And the linebackers have been more of a problem than I expected. Um, so I guess that would be what I was right. Those are just a couple of things. There are others. I think, you know, I was wrong about Nick Joku. He certainly is playing up to that contract. So I think we all sort of rolled our eyes when they gave him that contract. We thought, what, what is going on here? And he's been an integral part of this offense. And, um, you know, I think we were the, – the DPJ season we were expecting last year has now come this year. The, he's really emerging as a viable threat, NFL threat. And we expect that to happen last year, and it didn't. It is happening this year. And I think we were right about Anthony Schwartz. He's barely holding on to this roster. He was already inactive yeah. for one game. And, you know, you see the steps that DPJ took in year three. Well, this is year two for Schwartz. Can he make those same strides next year? I don't know. I don't even know if he'll be on this roster next year. Well, he certainly doesn't resemble an NFL player in any way. So we'll see. To go back to Jacoby, I my my thoughts on it aren't the same as yours, but my overall thought is almost exactly the same, right? Like he is certainly better than we thought. And by every number and just by saying, taking a step back and looking at the overall picture, he's been good. Um, you know, most games and most non-football things, and these things matter when you're the quarterback of the team, temporary or not, he's been great. He's been phenomenal. You need a steadying force in the shitstorm that is the Cleveland Browns for 25 fucking years, right? And uh, like you said, on a macro level, that's – Yeah, on a macro level, that's the game Miles Garrett just flat takes over. <laughs> in a bigger level, right, it's – the quarterback has to be that. And Jacoby is the same guy every day. Jacoby has earned the respect of the best players in the locker room, of the youngest and least proven players in the locker room, of the guys who run the team, right? And so you watch, and he is playing well. Um, there are limitations to this offense. Like, there, it, it is so abnormal in 2022 for two receivers to be involved, to be your whole pass offense. But it works. They're open, and the ball is getting there 70% of the time, right? Like, he had two bad throws early the other night, and then did he even come close to missing one the rest of the game? No. Yeah. You know, um, guys guys are there. So I think when Andrew Barry admitted that they were close to one deal, I think it's it's really 70% chance that it was a defensive tackle or a linebacker. And I know people threw out names. I've been uh, unable to to nail it down. So um, I don't want to go there. But I, I, I think there's at least a 10 to 20% chance it was a wide receiver. And that's because, you know, the other guys are in the plans for later. But, you know, it's just you can't count on two guys, right? Um, I kind of feel like I was right and wrong about Amari Cooper in a way, not not to the extremes. I knew he was good. I, I knew he was Amari Cooper, and his track record spoke for itself. And, you know, he's, he's um, an older player now. And I go back to the first game when, you know, he was targeted like 11 times, and I think it was three catches for 17 yards. And I remember looking, walking in that locker room post game and looking for him to see his body language and see the look on his face. And it wasn't good. And I thought, oh boy, this is going to get juicy. Well, <laughs> this guy has shown up every week. 
he's making plays down the field. You know, he's not going to, he's not Tyree kill. No one is right. But he catches everything. Uh, you watch him. I'm not talking about his 10 minutes with the media when he's awesome, but you watch him talk to younger guys and interact with younger guys on the sideline in the locker room. Um, you know, some of these routes they ask him to run are not fun, especially for a 28 year old receiver who's made all this money and is still do all this money. And he's there. Right. So, um, I think he and Donovan have been good for each other because I think Donovan has done some of the dirty work over the middle. I think Donovan has certainly benefited from the wisdom of Coop, and that that probably goes for the other young guys too as they're bringing along. So, you know, the offense gets high grades, and probably where I was most wrong, but I guess there's still chances, right? Is like I trumped trumpeted this defense. I didn't think they were going to hold teams to ten or thirteen points every game. I didn't think they were going to cause four turnovers every game. But they had freaking continuity. They had game records up front. They had guys that had earned their big contracts. They had major speed and athleticism in in youth and JOK and Newsom. And, and the way they played last year, there was no reason to think there wasn't going to be major carryover. It doesn't mean you walk out game one the next year and you're the, the exact same in any in any facet of football, right? Especially at the highest level. But I think um, you know, there's a chance that we see. It, the defense we've seen the last two weeks over the rest of the year. And I think I could still be right there. And if we do see that, then the Browns are going to have a chance. Now the problem is six of these last nine games are on the road. The problem is you got to go to Miami who puts pressure on you for 60 minutes, not a perfect team. And miles can certainly turn to over. Right. But then you go to Buffalo, which is always the game you circled as, as pretty much a loss. And then you play Tampa at home in one, both teams are going to need to have, and Tampa's coming off a bye. And, you know, maybe they just are shot, right? And maybe the Browns just are getting good. I'm certainly not counting that as an automatic loss. But at very minimum, the Browns have to win two of three in November. Um, and realistically, guys, again, not to not to say it's over because it's not. But when you have three AFC home losses, four, is it four AFC home losses already? Jets, Chargers. Three. It's four AFC losses. It's three AFC home losses. Yes. Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm half of me is on bye week already. Um, <laughs> you're just not going to win any tiebreakers. Maybe you will, but you, you can't count on that. You have to win the division to make the playoffs. And so, they're two games back of Baltimore and really three games back of Baltimore because sure. they're not going to get, they're not going to hold the tiebreaker with, with the Ravens. Right. So and Baltimore just traded for Roquan Smith and is getting Tyus Bowser and David Ojabo off the IR at some, like they're getting defensive reinforcements. And none of those guys play in their secondary. Right. Um, and, and they're they're still banged up, but we'll see. I, I was doing a show last week and someone asked me who the fourth team is. Because obviously you got the Eagles, the, the Chiefs, and the Bills who have separated themselves. Yeah. And I said, you know, I hadn't really thought about that. I'm sure that's why you're asking. It's an interesting question. I just said I don't think it's the Ravens. And you know, this was maybe three, four days after we'd seen the Ravens up close. But you never I I I, I I will never count out Lamar because he is superhuman, but I just don't – I don't think that's a great team. I don't, so we'll see. I, the Browns can catch them. Things need to go right, starting with health. Um, even if Deshaun is ready to play and mentally and physically right, and, you know, a transition period is less than ideal. And there's going to be a transition period for the quarterback himself, for the play caller, for the offense, for the huddle, for everything. It's just – it's not what you want. Right. So can they beat Houston in week one? Yeah. Houston's shit. 
Um, then they go to Cincinnati, who doesn't have any DBs. We'll see. We're, we're getting way down the road here. What, what's right in front of the Browns is they have to go to Miami and win the game. Then the season's on. And that's regardless of what Baltimore does this Monday night in um, New Orleans. That's regardless of what Cincinnati does. You know, again, they should win against the Panthers, but, but we'll see. You know, the Browns have to go to Miami and get that win because nobody gives them much of a chance in Buffalo. And, and you're just – you just – when you lose to the Jets, as you mentioned, Jason, you just put yourself chasing the rest of the year. And when you lose to the Jets um, two weeks before you start a four-game losing streak, then, you know, you can say we're alive. And the celebration Monday night certainly indicated that every player in that locker room thinks they're alive, and they are. But realistically, there is zero – Zero margin for error the rest of the way. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the defense, if they do turn it around and play better, it's almost even more infuriating because this is two years in a row where they wasted half the season on just awful defensive play. And it happened last year where they were just terrible defensively the first half of the season. We kept asking what's going on with the defense, what's wrong with the defense, what's going on with Joe Woods they get just curb stomped by the Patriots and then magically figure it out and turn into a different unit the rest of the way. So of course we come into this season thinking they've got it figured out. You know, they can carry this momentum from the second half of last season into now, like you said, the continuity on that side of the ball, something they've never had before, all the same personnel, the same schemes, the same coach. So for it to fall back into what it was as awful as it looked at times, it's it's I still don't think Joe Woods is off the hook, even if they do turn it around over the second half of the season. You can't do this every year. You can't keep wasting six, seven, eight weeks of, of just putrid performances. And again, you know, I if Jacoby doesn't throw some of those picks, we're not fo- as, as laser focused on the defense. The problems are still there. But some of those picks late game situations, if they if they get points out of them instead and they win some of those games, we're not spending as much time laser pointing the defense like we have been, but it, it, it's just inexcusable. And I, even if they do turn this around, I still don't think he's off the hook because you just can't waste a half a season every single year to figure yourself out. You know, obviously Denzel Ward has a concussion history, even though this is the first one in, in four years and he's missed three games. So there's some concern. We don't need to be doctors to know that. Right. right. And, and the Browns paid him a lot of money and he is a top 10, top five corner when, when he's healthy. Uh, these next three games, you play against Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. You play against Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, Gabe Davis. The list goes on. Josh Allen, who might be the best quarterback in the league right now. And you just, play against Tom Brady, forfeit. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Just, just forfeit Buffalo. Just, get, <laughs> just take the loss. Cut, count it as a bye week and get healthy again. Right. Like, <laughs> I don't even so, want to go through that game. <laughs> so here's, here's an issue, right? Like, even if – your offense is great and Nick Chubb plays keep away. And even if Miles and, and Clowney are up there causing havoc and making like, does anyone trust these safeties? No. No. How could you? Right. So so they've played well for two games. The Bengals couldn't get the ball down the field to test them. And and that's that is a credit to the defense. The the, the plan, the execution, 95, everything, right? Um, but these teams are gonna get the ball down the field, they're gonna find a way. And yeah, um, you know, the the image of the season to this point um, remains Grant Delpit with his arms up, like we've seen it too many times. So um, we will Don't see how that John Johnson with his arms up because that's, yeah. that's number two. And, and you know what I want to look, look I, I've written this. I've said this. Some of you guys come into the game wanting to gripe at Stefanski. 
and I get it. Um, and when you're on a four-game losing streak, as I wrote, every hole in the roster looks gaping, every coaching 50-50 situation you expect to whiff, every special team situation you expect to whiff, right? All of these things. Like, when I'll become a believer is when I see the Browns win a game, Jason, not, not because they had 24 and 95 and the other team didn't, but because the preparation and the, because they stayed a step ahead, right? They punted somebody deep, got to stop. They, they, they ran the trick play at the right time and didn't throw it to the other team. You know, they, they went for the right fourth down and got it and kept the defense off the field. Like, I don't feel like, I don't think Kevin has cost the team five games like some people do. No. But I don't feel like they've won a game just because they've been flat out beat teams to the spot and been more prepared either. And I want to see that. That's probably, I think that's very fair. I think that's accurate and very fair. And, you know, I think it was the Chargers game. What, what game was it that Miles missed? The was Falcons the game. Falcons. Yeah. No, it wasn't Falcons, was it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, then that's the game. I remember we were talking about the press box, and I think I wrote, I was talking to you about it, and I wrote the two people that let him down the most that day were Kevin Stefanski and Miles Garrett. And yeah, yeah. it was that game. Some of the calls, the the go going for it on fourth and three from the four, and and some of that stuff. Uh, I don't want to turn it into a big analytics debate, but by and large, I mean somehow in town, I think I've become the Kevin Stefanski apologist, and that was never. I never intended it to be that. I sent one tweet. I sent one friggin' tweet saying Kevin Stefanski is not the problem with this team, move along, or something to that effect. And suddenly I am now the Kevin Stefanski apologist. But, you know, w- when you look at what he's had in his career at the quarterback position, I think he's done a pretty damn good job. And, you know, I remember I was filling in for, uh, I had to deal with that idiot, Pin Carmen, last year one morning. And I was filming for Lima and we had Trent Dilfer on. And I think I wrote about this actually last year, but I asked Trent, is Kevin Stefanski limit his quarterbacks or does he build a system around limited quarterbacks? And Trent gave a fabulous answer. And I still did, wasn't sure. I think we're starting to see that Kevin Stefanski is really good at building a system around limited quarterbacks. I think Jacoby Brissett's the tiebreaker. You know, Kirk Cousins is, is a fine NFL quarterback. He's above average. He's certainly not great, but I put him above average and Kevin put him in position to succeed. He did it with Baker. Baker had some of his best performances under Kevin and played some of his best football with Kevin. And now he's doing it with Jacoby Brissett and making Brissett play the best football of his career. And the one reason I bring all that up is to say, what do you think he's going to do when he gets an elite talent back there? And so for all the people screaming, Kevin's the problem, Kevin's the problem, it's like, no, Kevin's really not the problem. Look what he's done with what he's had to work with. Give him the opportunity with elite talent and then see what he can do. And also the fact that like, what, I, I mean, I, I don't know if we talked about this on this podcast or not, but obviously 230 million guaranteed played a huge role in Deshaun coming here. Let's not be naive, but he was going to get paid no matter where he went. So it's not just the money. And I wholeheartedly believe one of the other big factors on what sold him here was the fact that Kevin sat with him in Rusty Harden's office for 45 minutes chopping up game film and and Kevin going over film with him and showing him, this is what you did in Houston. This is how we run it. This is what we like to do. This is how you'll do it here. This is how I envision it. And they just spent 45 minutes like, just chopping it up and getting to know each other. And I think that went a long way in 
selling to Sean on trusting Kevin and trusting this offense. So how can you do something rash before you even give that an opportunity to see what that looks like? And I don't mean just the last six games of this year. I mean, next year as well. So well, then he the told idea, him no thanks, and then he took the $230 million that two days later. Well, yeah. No, and again, yes. No, I know what you're saying. No, but, to do it. yes. So there's two different ways I want to go with that. And yes, like, guys, when they made this trade, and whether you think they did 15 minutes of research or five months of research, and that remains to – we don't really have a real answer on that, right? They were saying – Paul DePodesta is going to be here. Andrew Barry is going to be here. Kevin Stefanski is going to be here. That, that part's inarguable, right? And that's not that doesn't mean that we were ignorant of the Haslam's track record. That doesn't mean that things don't change, right? But like they were saying, we are committed to the long term. This trade was never about this year because when Andrew Barry had to go back with that money and beg, right, whether it was his idea or not, they added the extra year to the deal. They were saying, okay, we're, we're, we're going to do this. And that was the whole intent, right? The Browns had been to the Senior Bowl. They saw that this quarterback class stunk. They didn't have any idea of being anywhere near the the top of the draft this year or next year to get any of those guys. They didn't want the corpse of Matt Ryan, right? They, they were already moving on from Baker Mayfield. Like, and as you look around, that that part's right. It's just they were saying we are going all in for this quarterback and for the future. So we always have that guy because we just watched that playoff game in KC and we know. That you in in a lot of ways you either have that guy or you don't. And now they do, or they will, or they will. Yes, and, and will. we have every reason to believe. You know, he's in the building, he's on track. When Andrew Barry said yesterday, he's going to like no shit, guys. He's going to start. <laughs> yeah, I, but but I still think it's good to get that on the record. I know it's it's an obvious. Duh. Yeah. No, and, and listen, this is what the Browns do when they're with a refusal to answer anything ever. Right is is sometimes the obvious needs to be asked. It needs to be stated. You know, um, one of my gripes with Kevin is that he doesn't have to act like he has the worst job in the world every single day. And, and you know what? There probably are times that being head coach of the Cleveland Browns is the worst job. Worst job. <laughs> but like, his presentation sometimes is like, oh my god! Like I would rather be at the dentist office than, than here. Think about since he got here. I mean, COVID, we, we, we talked about this at length that first year, but the pan, he, he gets hired at the start of a pandemic. No interaction with his players, has to install a system over Zoom, very, very little in-person contact with these guys, gets through that. Now J.C. Treader is basically boycotting OTAs and takes the entire offense with him. So no off-season program then. Has to coach now, Baker Mayfield. Has to coach Baker Mayfield. God love him has to deal with all that that comes with that and the immaturity with that now has to navigate this Deshaun Watson thing has to answer the same questions every day, give the same non-answers. Kevin was just trying to stick just enough of his head out of the hole that it didn't get shot off throughout all of that stuff. All he was trying to do was stay out of the headlines has to, has to just deal with it with it's unbelievable. All this stuff, some of it, you know, everyone dealt with the pandemic, obviously, but when you just look at the totality of everything that he's had dumped on him since he got here, it's incredible that he's still standing. I, I It's just, it's remarkable to me. It comes with the territory in the NFL. Uh, I, you know, I jokingly asked him at training camp, you just want a normal, just a normal off season one time. And he's like, there's no such thing as normal. Everybody said, this is normal in the NFL or something like that. 
but this is, I mean, this is normal for Cleveland. This is not normal NFL. What's going on here outside of the pandemic that everyone had to deal with, what's going on here is, is just not typical for the NFL. And I thought he's handled all of it to the best of his ability, to the best that he could. There's been so much asked of him. And that's why you call me an apologist, whatever. I think he's done a remarkable job under the circumstances he's been given. And I think you have to at least wait till next year when everything is in place and he's got an elite talent before you can really properly evaluate the job that he's done. Because what he's done to this point, given all of the factors working against him, I think is marvelous. When you sign up to be head coach of the Cleveland Browns, and he did this voluntarily, at least we think, right? <laughs> um, you're a firefighter and you, you get one protective suit and one hose and then they say, here's nine fires, <laughs> right? And they said, here, go talk about uh, trading your farm for Deshaun Watson. Yep. Right? <laughs> um, go get a team ready. Here, Deshaun hasn't played in a year and a half, and he's going to play sometime between September and 2023. Yeah. Right? And we wrote in this contract that we're not going to void him as long as he can play sometime in the next two years. Like, we want this, right? And we gave up all these draft picks, right? And, and go do this. Um, yeah, so we will see how that goes. I, I mean, Kevin is a really good play caller and play designer, and, and you guys who argue that know nothing. Um, <laughs> there are valid arguments about some, you know, his his track record of challenges and his use of Nick Chubb and all of that stuff. Arguments that nobody's ever really going to win, right? But 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 you can listen to both sides or all sides, you know. Um, I've I've seen a lot. And I've sat in the press boxes and watched on the film. And the, the way he designs plays, guys are open. The offensive line loves, not just succeeds, but loves playing, getting those opportunities that they get in the different traps and pools and counter plays, maximizes his best players and gets guys open um, that maybe can't consistently get open on their own. Right. And that, He's he's done well with Baker Mayfield, with Jacoby Brissett, with Case Keenum. And so there's going to be things we haven't seen before. It's not always it's not going to be um, an instant or perfect transition. But so much more of what you guys see on Saturdays, you're going to see from Deshaun Watts. There, there's going to be an offense that still hands the ball to Nick Chubb, right? Still does what we've seen over these last three years but opens things up and allows Deshaun to create, right? And that's why they've invested the way they have in the depth of the offensive line, and that's why they gave David Njoku what they gave him. You know, the Amari trade looks like a genius move. They were ahead of the wide receiver market. They right? stole them. They, they stole, stole them. They were way ahead of that market. We'll see. So they're not good enough or, or finished at wide receiver. And even if the defense continues to play well, there are some personnel holes because they've drafted poorly. Um, so either those guys are going to step up or they're going to have to use limited resources to plug some holes. Um, you know, the philosophy has been short-term contracts on the defense to find it. And obviously the first year, it wasn't right. I mean, they signed Sandejo and Carl Joseph and, you know, B.J. Goodson, who no longer plays in the league. And that was just to get guys in and do it. And then last year it was, okay, we totally remade that. Um, but Clowney's on a one-year deal. Brian's on a one-year deal. Uh, Anthony Walker, who obviously made the tent fall down, is on a one-year deal. Jacob Phillips can't play at all. Deion Jones is on a one-year deal. 
Taki Taki's in the last year of his contract. John Johnson, you know, 12 point something guaranteed to. Grandel put is under contract for one more year, right? AJ Green's a restricted free agent. Greedy's an unrestricted free agent. Like, there's there's some issues with this defense. So um, we will see how that goes. But even though they're probably not going to win any tiebreakers, and even though there's awkward transition and drama and fires to come, I would, and we'll close this podcast with this, I, I do give them a chance in Miami, Jason, and I do give them a chance to be relevant, competitive into December because I, I think it's not it wasn't just the one game with the defense, it was two. We know Nick Chubb's healthy and rolling. Cream Hunt was probably never going anywhere. You know, had they lost that game, maybe they would have been tempted to take the bait there. But um, the pieces are in place, and like there's a chance, it's not a great one, but there's a chance that when it's, they play the Bengals and the Ravens the second time, that it'll mean something and that they, they could make a run at it. Like I, I, I'm not fully buying in, but I'm a believer that, that the season is not dead yet. Well, it's your Cleveland way to do it. Set your own house on fire just to see if you can put it out. And that's what they've done with this three and five start. It's, it was certainly burning at two and five. And to your point, they've got the ax and the hose. And now they're trying to put the fire out. And we'll see. Miami will determine uh, if there's anything. I agree with you. I think Miami, you're not going to beat Buffalo. You have to beat Miami. You have to beat Tampa. And now you've set yourself up to at least have a chance. You have a chip in the chair when Deshaun comes back. But every game feels like a must win, especially when you know your odds of winning in Buffalo are very, very slim. Yeah. Um, folks, put, put down Twitter. Enjoy your weekend off. Uh, but come back and join us. Because um, what other podcast in America talks LeBron James and James Hudson? Nobody. That's right. Nobody. <laughs> That's us. So uh, I got a story going up on the weekend. Um, be back, you know, in Berea next week as usual, and we will be back with another civilized barking ahead of the Dolphins game. So enjoy the bye week. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Marissa. Uh, everyone, we appreciate you guys listening and, and coming along for the ride uh, with us. So uh, enjoy the long weekend. Talk to you soon.